<laughs> Hello, all you wonderful, wonderful people that matter so very, very much. Uh, I'm Will Help. Um, for those of you who didn't come here from my YouTube channel uh, called Could Help, uh, yeah, my name is Will. On the channel, I go by Will Help as in, hi, I will help, and this could help. And as you might suspect, and will soon learn, that's, that's not my real last name. It fit the motif of the show, and so I ran with it. So uh, I, I made the YouTube channel because I was trying to figure out the best way to show the world what I had discovered ten and a half years ago. And uh, primarily, that, that's to be a book, uh, which I, I've just finished uh, this month. Yes, thank you. Uh, I'm ah, that's that's a good feeling. Uh, so it's been in the works for a long time now uh, because I'd been researching and writing the book for several years and was having a really hard time figuring out how best to arrange it. So what I did is what I always do when I'm stuck on you know what I should do next. I started talking about it. I started explaining the concepts to other people and I stuck it up on YouTube. And I noticed that in thinking about you know, what I was going to talk about in the next episode, I was coming up with possible A to B to C narrative paths, ways that I could lay out the book. And in the process of talking about it on the show, the final piece of reorganization occurred to me and <laughs> it was a big one. It's actually kind of funny because you can you can literally watch me realize on camera that I had to reorganize the entire show, the entire book, and rewrite roughly a quarter of the book. <laughs> and you just you see it happen literally on camera. It's uh, it's episode three, the theories around the five minute mark. I've watched it a few times now. Uh, and I'll throw the link in the description. Uh, Rewatched it the night I decided to make the audio version of the book into a podcast. That's right. This, what you're listening to right here, this is The Laughing Matters by yours truly. Lucky person you are. But yeah, the, the music was a huge get on that. If you do the right music at the right time, it... Well, it acts like an amplifier. It really helps to drive points home. And let's face it, it just generally makes a room feel less empty and makes a recording of someone speaking more full. And it, it helps the emotional response that one has to what is being said, not just get coaxed out of them a tad easier, but to stay out and maybe feel some more. <laughs> You know, to not need to be coaxed out each time. Not just to hear, but to feel what I have to share with you. Because what I'm about to share with you is... <laughs> man, I, I really, really hope you guys keep listening after this episode. The, the stuff I, I'm going to be telling you... It's, it's not really... It's not... I, I feel weird saying it, but it is not really arguable. I know, that seems like a bold claim, but I'm, I'm not proposing theories on most of this. I'm pulling it up and out from where it's laid hidden for so long and placing it in your laps. It's, it's night and day stuff. You know, I say it's not arguable because most of them are obvious when you see them, when I point them out. 
They're like stating, some people say the color of the sky is blue. These are pretty plain as the nose on your face things, and you know some of them you may have noticed in your time here on Earth. So, without further ado, I give you The Laughing Matters by W.S. Walker. Copyright 2020 by William S. Walker. These pages are dedicated to my parents, my father Jeff, who didn't always know what I was doing, but gave me the support and benefit of the doubt to help me do it. And my mother Jean, who stood ever vigilant in her beliefs and who I aspire to match in strength of love and spirit one day. Preface A.K.A. Here's what I've got to say before I say what I came here to say. Here we go. So, when I was much younger, I was told an anecdote that has stayed with me ever since. There's this um, Western philosopher. He's, uh, he's considered wise by all his peers. And one day, that philosopher begins to hear murmurings of an Eastern philosopher, this monk who has several new ideas and approaches to questions that mankind has always asked. The meaning of life. Uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Is there a plan or is it free will? Etc. So the Western philosopher decides to make the journey overseas so he can, you know, converse with this monk and learn from him and hopefully further validate his own arguments. Well, after a long journey, the philosopher finally arrives at the monastery and he's ushered in to meet the monk. They seat themselves at a small table and after some pleasant small talk, the philosopher starts engaging the monk in headier subjects and he starts asking some of the more profound questions that he traveled so far to have answered. As the monk begins to speak, the Western philosopher spots two inconsistencies what he himself knows to be true, and uh, at the appearance of the second one, he interrupts the monk as politely as possible, and the monk sits quietly and he's listening to the philosopher as he explains why he believes the opposite to be true. And once the philosopher finishes, the monk thanks him for sharing his understanding of the truth. He tells him that, uh, you know, he'll meditate on that which the philosopher has proposed. So, rather gracefully, the monk picks right back up where he left off. And not too long after that, the philosopher starts clearing his throat with a finger raise. Ah, but have you considered what G.E. Moore said about? (laughs) Again... The monk listens carefully, and after you know, a few moments of consideration, he thanks the philosopher for sharing such an interesting take on things. The monk promises to add this viewpoint to his daily meditations, and then he, with a slight knowing smile, mind you, picks right back up where he left off. And it's a few more minutes before the monk spots a furrow in the visitor's brow and another objection rising to the lips of the westerner. So this time, it's actually the monk that interrupts. You have traveled a long way. Would you like tea? The philosopher nods and thanks him. And have you a cup and water? The philosopher raises an eyebrow, but, uh, you know, he hands over the cup and the canteen from his backpack without comment. And the monk walks over to a small kitchen area of the room where he pours the water from the canteen into the teapot and he begins to boil it. 
And so they start talking in the kitchenette while waiting for the whistle of the steam. And when it comes, the monk pours the philosopher's water into the philosopher's cup, and he sets that aside. And then the monk pours water from his own stores into the emptied kettle and begins to boil that while he takes down his own cup from the cupboard. The philosopher, he can't figure out if this is a deliberate insult or a quirky custom, so he decides to let it go. And as their talks deepen, the Westerner barely notices the monk is adding tea leaves to the boiling water in the kettle. The monk lifts the kettle before it screams and pours his own cup full of the freshly made tea. And then he brings the kettle over to the Westerner's cup and he starts to pour. And the cup, already you know, pretty much full of boiled water, is only able to receive a little bit of tea before threatening to overflow. The monk passes the philosopher's cup to the now annoyed Westerner, who remarks, And why have you poured me such weak tea? Well, the corner of the monk's mouth drew slightly up into that same small smile, and he lifts the cup from the philosopher's hand. You are like this cup, so full of your own ideas and context. You are surrounded by your own context, and I cannot show you the context of that which I find to be truths if you are preoccupied with using your own. Anything I offer will only dilute in your mind and vanish, torn apart by your understanding of the world before you have even heard half of what I would say on the matter. The monk starts to pour out the contents of the cup to the drain. If you truly wish to know what it is I have found, whether you wish to live your life by way of these truths, or you simply want to see if what I have to say is true. You must empty yourself of what you already believe to be true. This is a requirement for gaining understanding. One cannot remain full and yet take on something else in its entirety. Ah, he smiles and glances down at the water running down the drain. Now the cup is useful to us again. And so the monk sets down the philosopher's now empty cup in front of him and starts to pour the tea in. Once you have set aside that which you are already full of, only then can you truly decide if my tea has worth. I, I love this story. And now that I have something of worth to offer the world, I understand the importance of the story's message far more fully. During my journey to discuss the truths I've found, I've sometimes found people arguing against what they believe to be what I'm proposing before I've even proposed. That's, And most of the time, if the argument is about something covered in the book, they're either in opposition of something that they think I'm getting at, or are arguing something that has little to no bearing on the part of the topic that I brought up to explain a point. <laughs> and I used to have a good humor about it. I did. Like living with a quirky but loved elderly person that waves off half of what you say and argues the other half for seemingly no reason. But this is problematic here. 
uh, in this particular setting because what I'll be proposing here is a giant interconnected series of concepts that support each other, but not in linear A to B to Z fashion. It kind of takes all of it to support all of it. And what you're listening to now is an attempt to walk people through these concepts, but the only way that this will work is if you're willing to make a deal with me. For the duration of this book, I'm asking you to set aside your current beliefs on these matters, whatever they may be. It's okay, you can pick them back up after. But empty your cup so that you can reach the end and judge for yourself whether or not there's validity to what I've actually shared with you. To see what I'm proposing as it is and not as the knee-jerk reactions would have it. Now, as you've probably already suspected at some point or another, part of this book is rooted in the belief that there is a God. And... By that, I mean something that's bigger and more complex than we have a frame of reference for and that life was intentional. And that's pretty much as far as the definition that I'm going to ask you uh, as a favor to accept as a probability. I say as a probability because having spent years studying the patterns that emerge across history, uh, religions, Science, physics, mathematics, the existence of some deliberate creative force seems to be the safe money bet. Just about every tribal people that we have a recorded history of, even though they were on separate continents, separated by oceans, didn't have the internet, y'all, and, and they never interacted, they all believed that there was something that fell within that simple definition, mostly in the form of gods. Me personally... I only use the term God because that's that's the name that I became accustomed to through my early years in Catholic upbringing and my early love for Greek mythology. So I want you guys to know that if I do reference a religious text or ten, and don't worry, I usually only bring up when I have a cool kind of twist to throw on it. Um, the definition of God that I use is not tied to any religion. Religion is mankind's interpretation of prior interactions with God. And no group could ever know everything that there is to know about God or what God wants. And that's part of the reason that at an early age, I set out from Catholicism to find the truths that other religions might offer. I was barely a teenager when I left the church, admittedly, so I did lack the depth needed to truly explore these varying beliefs. Um... So yeah, I, I also tended to steer away from rituals and religions. Uh, <laughs> they provide comfort for some, but I, I still wonder how much of it it's more as, as for each person as a sentimental tone, striking a nostalgic chord in the place where one formed their relationship with God growing up. For me, it was that heavy emphasis on the rituals and Catholicism that ultimately led to my absences from Sunday Masses. I felt no real personal connection to the rituals because I didn't, I didn't feel they furthered my connection to God. So yeah, when, when I left the church, I was still pretty sure there was something out there. 
I turned to several religions for a more satisfying answer, but I never really found what I was looking for. Yes, there were a lot of truths in each, and often accompanied with powerful wisdoms and meditations, but I couldn't find one that had all the answers I was looking for. I was pretty sure I'd know it when I saw it, because truth is truth, right? That's why it's so hard to unsee something once it comes into the light. One of the big reasons that I always felt that there was some kind of God was born out of my time fascinating over some of the brilliant finds we'd made in the fields of science and physics. I could blame my teachers for my love of those fields, but I think the initial blame goes to my father's subscription of popular mechanics during my adolescence. And my favorite discoveries were always those which the patterns in multiple fields of study would either line up or overlap in critical ways, forming systems. And yes, as a science-slash-physics nut, I considered the possibility that all of this existence was born out of unintentional chaos. Or, as I would come to call (laughs) that theory later, the what-a-crazy-random-happenstance theory. (laughs) But the longer you look, the systems are just too precariously bounced to ever make creation by chaos a serious consideration for the explanation of all things. That chaos model happens only once in an uncountable number of scenarios. It just wasn't statistically viable enough to remain in the running. And the more I studied the natural and physical sciences and the fundamentals of mathematics, uh, mathematics, of course, being the language of all sciences, the more that I believed that there was something bigger than us. And I'm not alone on this either, nor does it revoke my membership to the world of the scientifically minded. In one of his later interviews, Albert Einstein stated plainly, the more I study the natural sciences, the more I believe in a god. And then he would later clarify that he didn't mean a religious god, but an abstract creator and designer of everything. And when he was questioned about the interview in which he said this, Einstein wrote, Everyone who is seriously involved in the pursuit of science becomes convinced that some spirit is manifest in the laws of the universe, one that is vastly superior to that of man. And there seems to be this weird misconception out there that either science is right or religion is right. And I have never understood this argument. Now, I can say that I believe, I can't say for certain, but I believe that a great deal of why some scientists have issues with religions is that the people in them have a more restrictive and detailed vision of what God is. And I can safely say that most scientists and physicists that I've worked with believe that there's probably something that designed it all. Robert Griffiths, the Hyman Prize winner in mathematical physics, said, If we need an atheist for a debate, we go to the philosophy department. The physics department isn't much use. If they disbelieved or argued against anything, it was by far and away the specific beliefs of various religions 
were some of the actions made by said religions, followers, or leaders, and definitely that all-too-common mentality of, if you believe some of what this religious sect believes, then it is of the utmost importance you get to work on believing the rest of what we believe, too. And this is the opposite philosophy to actual science, which has very few laws, but a whole lot of theories. Scientists search for the truth in hidden and obvious places, and they make every effort to recognize it and value it for what it is, regardless of which field of study or uh, sect it was found in. Truth is truth. Yes, that that can be kind of heady. And your first time feeling the cleverness of peeking behind the curtain of the universe, it, it can make somebody arrogant in their view, but eventually you start to understand just how delicately everything behind the curtain has been put together. Or, I guess more succinctly put, by Werner Heisenberg, the father of quantum mechanics himself. The first gulp from the glass of natural sciences will turn you into an atheist, but at the bottom of the glass, God is waiting for you. Okay, I'm I'm almost off the point, but I I do want to remind those that are are unconvinced that are science is everything, and if you can't prove God, I want to remind people that mathematics physical, natural, and especially theoretical sciences, they're all rooted in the observation of patterns. The theories and the laws are written, but these fields are, at their core, the observation, recording, questioning, predicting, and testing of repeating phenomenon. At their base level, these fields of study break down to do it, and this happens. Do it again, this happens again. Okay, well, what if we do it like this? Well, this happens. Does it happen again and again and again like that? The world happens first. The studies happen second. They are predictive systems of study, but you know we'll, we'll get to that later on. My point is, if you reverse your view on these studies and look in the other direction, you might find yourself wondering, how is it these laws came to be immutable? How is it that these patterns came to repeat in the first place? Science does not inform our existence on how to operate. It's the study of how it is already operating. Or to put it my favorite way, science may inform the whole world, but it is the world that informs science first. I bring up all of this because I'm asking you to accept that it's possible that there is something for the duration of the book. And for the people that already believe that there's something... I'm asking you to let go of the governing aspects that you believe of God or gods. Because if I start explaining the concepts that are detailed in these pages and the reader holds on to a belief that God does not exist or God does not exist like that, the connections will not form between these concepts for the reader. Not the way they need to. 
You see, the brain actually responds to large potential changes and what one believes to be true, much the way that it responds to physical threats. The same areas of the brain light up with activity. Again, I'd rather just hear out what I have to say the way I'd say it before you pass your final judgments on the material. A lot of the crisscrossing supports of the structure these concepts form aren't detailed till the last third of the book. So, to that point, I offer one last word of warning. We're about to start, I promise. Most of the chapters are primarily laying out several different concepts that at the time of reading them, they may seem disjointed, unconnected, or unrelated. In the last few chapters, and even as we journey along the chapters of the book, we'll begin to gather them up and fit them together. The first two-thirds of the book are the pushpins, and the last third, the strings. So the best I can do now is to lay out each individual piece on the table, explain what each piece is, and then assemble them together in front of you. For the too-long-did-not-read version, you're not going to understand what I'm saying until I'm done saying it. So hang in there, and empty your cup before you go in. And I solemnly promise you this. If I've written it in the book, it's been put into the book because it is important to the total understanding of what I've found. This book does not include one single unnecessary word. And that is it. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening in. And uh, I'll, you know, I'll usually, I'm trying to cut down the intro. Or I don't know. I'll try to make it more entertaining or something. It only gets better from here, folks. And uh, you should have the chapter one in your hands soon. <laughs> you guys have some big stuff coming. Make sure you hit subscribe for the podcast so you're notified when the new one comes out. And uh, please, please come back and hear more. I only just prepped you for the ride. You're just getting locked in. Chapter one's where it all kicks off. Come back with an empty cup and see if my tea has worked. If you get the chance, uh, check us out on youtube.com slash could help. Uh, some good videos up there, although I'll let you be the judge of that. If you have any questions, you can hit me up at willhelpmail at gmail.com. And, of course, uh, we're on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash I could help. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, have future stuff coming up in the soon time with the words I bring out. Okay, bye. <laughs>